podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and today I'm joined by JP Mason and it's an absolute pleasure to be back on the show because I only appear twice a week now JP to give some people some peace from <laughs> my voice and, and also my face but here I am and it's an absolute pleasure to be here I'm looking at an outstanding, a quite outstanding Mogwai hoodie top and an away jersey uh, and I remember the first time that I opened the Axon Bulletin by asking you about the Celtic jersey there were comments coming on and saying I'm not here to listen about jerseys you're pairing anoraks switching off but listen I'm going to ask you about that jersey behind you because um, it's the jersey I know and loved and I'm going to say it, I think it's aged very very well talk to me about that uh, what was it a Space Invaders design that we had back uh, in 1989 90 uh, I don't know I, I think it was 89 yeah yeah. I mean this is like back in the early early days of like my first couple of years of supporting Celtic that was that was one of the strips and uh I can't confess that this is an original. It is an original uh, strip. It's the actual, you know, strip from that time. But it's not mine. I, I bought this on eBay sometime in the mid noughties before the retro strip thing had really become a thing. So yeah. I got in there. Like, I mean, this probably a guy offered me money for this uh, on an away trip somewhere. I can't remember where it was. It was absolutely steaming. But a guy came up to me in a pub and was just like, "I'll, I'll buy that for you, mate, hundred quid." And I was like, uh, "Well, one, I'll be left with no thought." And uh, no, two, I'm, 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 it's not for sale. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I have fond memories of it and I, I don't know why people have a go at it because I think it's great. Well, the, the time you came through to Stirling to record your first appearance on A Celtic State of Mind, mm-hmm. um, you wore the other away jersey that, that divides opinion which was the zigzag effort yeah. um, I, I, I'm actually looking for a, an image here but I will find it at some point during the bulletin yeah. uh, and that was a zigzag e- effort from the early 90s as well, these two yeah. have gone down in the history books, they certainly divide opinion uh, but the player I remember I mean when you look at a jersey always you always think of a player, what, what player do you think of when you look at that yellow jersey behind you? 
Uh, I think Peter Grant for some reason. Uh, I, I don't know why. Uh, th- that is like you ask me a question, I'll give you the immediate answer. Is Peter <laughs> Grant is my is my first go to? Um, for I don't know why, but I don't think it was it worn that much. I mean, I'd like, I'm sure some statos could probably reel out the numbers on how many yeah. it's worn, but I, I don't think it was worn overly uh, in some games. Um, I'm thinking Saint Mirren and yeah. Dunfermline. I remember yeah. watching us at Love Street. Um, mm. where we beat St Mirren one nothing. Joe Miller scored the goal mm. it was a week before the Scottish Cup final where we stopped the treble and Joe Miller scored the goal against oh, Rangers yeah. and that was a, that was in the interim period because you know how your mind plays a wee bit of tricks on you sometimes JP and you think about that time where Mo Johnston said he would sign for us and he was unveiled wearing the centenary jersey then he signed for Rangers there was actually a period of time in between that uh, it wasn't just like days you know there was yeah. there was a lengthy period of time and during that period of time Morris Johnston was at that game in the stand wearing a pair of shades and he was sit, sitting next next to Davy Proven he was sitting next to Davy Proven there's two great names from Celtic's past or present um, he was sitting next to Davy Proven that jersey hadn't long been released and people I, I remember walking up to Love Street and people were wearing that jersey with nine on the back Johnston nine wow. Johnston um, I do remember that and I know one of the people who was wearing the jersey, but I'm not going to name and shame him. But he did admit that he appeared in a newspaper um, that week of uh, um, Mo Johnson saying for Rangers, I think he was wanting his money back. But he didn't yeah, get the it. Num- the number will still be on the top, but I don't name though. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Johnson. But the thing is, you didn't really get your name on the back of the jersey back then, no. did you? Because no. it wasn't a thing. It wasn't like, you know, the squad numbers with the name. It wasn't well, a thing back then. Celtic didn't have numbers on the back of the strips until... I was some mid early to mid nineties or something when they eventually had to conform to UEFA. Standards. Sadly, sadly, I had to do a lot of research on that for uh, my latest book, JP. I see my latest book. It's the second coming. It's taking five years to pull together. It's <laughs> insane to such a point that I've retired for writing. But um, I've done loads and loads of research on the numbers game. I think that's the name of the title, uh, the chapter. Uh, the game that you're talking about is we ended up, Fergus McCann had taken over and we had never worn the numbers on the hoops unless it was a European game. And there was a couple of friendlies back in the day. Actually, back in the 60s, there were a couple of friendly games where we wore gold numbers on the back of the, the hoops as an wow. experiment. But we never ever did it until we were forced to do it. And we, Fergus, tried to um, pull a flanker by just having them on the sleeves. So he had the numbers on the sleeves rather than on the back. And eventually he was told, that's not good enough, you're going to have to wear them on the back. And um, yeah. he finally relented and it's been numbers on the back ever since. The hoops, but certainly the away strips, we would have the numbers on the back. Um, but, you know, that was back in the day. That was back in the day. Let's pull it right up to the present and focus on that Mogwai talk. Mogwai, number one, JP, how delighted were you with yeah, that? I still am. I mean, somebody slagged me in the comments for saying, oh, here's JP talking about his famous pals again. And like, well... I, d- I doubt I'm ever likely to have friends who are number one in the UK charts again. I hope I do. I mean, but it might be a long, long time before that happens. So uh, if I kind of get excited about people that I know doing well, then uh, it's game, game's a bogey, I think, at that point. But yeah, I'm delighted for them. And, you know, it's number nine in America as well. You know, it's Brilliant. absolutely amazing. You know, Brilliant. Uh, from from an independent artist, you know, to do that, it's it's class. And the guy that they were up against was cutting about London in a tank paid for mm. by his record label. So it's kind of very nineties kind of uh, chart battle. 
That reminded me, I know we've not spoken yet about the current state of affairs at Celtic. We will get round to it, um, JP, but we're a diverse, um, you know, broad church here at a Celtic State okay. of Mind. And I get excited because I'm only allowed to appear on it twice a week, you know, so um, I do cover the match days. So there's loads to talk about. But the last time I remember someone uh, promoting their music using a tank was the Super Furry Animals. Yeah. They did that. Aye, yeah, they did. They did that. Um, was it God Show Me Magic? Was it the single? Something oh, reminds me yeah. of that time. But anyway, yeah, big shout out to Mogwai and superb. It was, it was a superb kind of achievement. I don't know if I've bored you with this before, but I went through a period where I counted all the Mogwai albums. I said, right, I need to dedicate a month of my life to each album. Mm-hmm. And I, at that time, I was working in a job where I was sitting listening to music all day. And um, I did that, you know, uh, for a month at a time, properly immersed myself in the band. And I'm currently doing it with Radiohead. So I'm on, I'm on OK Computer at the moment. These are the and things you do when and you you're get... Not, you're, not, you're not put it away either. You can't put OK Computer no. away. You know, if you start in, in that, then you'll go, you'll go down the, the path. Now, those three albums, I've got to say, those three albums, I bought into them at the time, the, the first three Radiohead albums. And then my interest in the band waned. And... I've said this before, I think that that really is a trend with me though, JP. I get into a band and I'm like right into them, go and see them live, get all the bootlegs, everything. But after three albums, I move on. Um, and there's only a few bands that that hasn't happened with, with me, believe it or not. It sounds like a Celtic player's career at the moment. I know, I know. Like three seasons and then nah, I'm away. <laughs> That's a brilliant link. Let's talk about Celtic. Um, no, but we've been talking about the situation we currently find ourselves in and, you know, every single day I do my obviously my prep for the Axon Bulletin and every single day it's new names are getting thrown into the mix and it gets to the point JP where you think as a Celtic fan you don't want to really invest in any of the names because there's so many of them a lot of them are just you know putting it, uh, getting put up by the bookies so that they're, they, they pull in more bets I mean I, I even read this morning Sean Dyche is, is now on you can't call it a shortlist anymore it's a long list there's so many managers being and and you would expect that. So many managers being linked to the Celtic uh, manager's position. But I, I did find it interesting uh, the other day, and I know Colin and Amy spoke about it yesterday, but I found it interesting that it had been leaked by Hugh Keevans, of all people, that uh, Eddie Howe had been approached by Celtic. I found that very interesting indeed, because I, I was along the way thinking that Celtic weren't going to go down that route. This is a conversation we had last Thursday. Mm. I, I had kind of like uh, convinced myself that Celtic we're going to go down a more long-term, medium to long-term route in, in respect of the guy that they announced may not be a household name, mm-hmm. but it's bigger. Of, it's, it's part of a bigger uh, master plan. But uh, what did you make of the, the revelations that Eddie Howe has been approached? I, uh, ubiquitous Hugh Evans. Uh, I mean, I don't think Hugh Evans is the type of guy that would put something out there unless he could hang his hat on it. You know, I think he's been... He's been kind of ridiculed in the past for, you know, his own thoughts. Remember his comments on Miravchik and things like that. I mean, they came back to haunt him. And he's said other things, you know, but they've been his opinions that have come back to haunt him rather than mm. it being something that he's saying has happened. So I think I think there maybe is weight to it. I, I'm wondering whether Celtic are in this position. I'm talking about the board, that is. Whether they're in this position where they're like, is this going to fly? If, if we do present a director of football and, you know, up-and-coming coach who's not actually managed a team before, is that going to fly? Mm. And then they're obviously then maybe thinking maybe we should go down an Eddie Howe route or, a, you know, 
I'm not going to throw Benitez into the mix there because I, I, just, I still think that's absolutely fanciful. But um, Eddie Howe does seem everything that I've listened to and even on this show, the, the way that uh, you know Colin and uh, and Amy were talking about Eddie Howe and and yourself as well and uh, talking about him. I, I don't think it's a bad a bad appointment, but I was starting to train myself into thinking, well, it's going to be somebody like Enzo Maresca or uh, mm. Toussaint. Um, did I get that pronunciation right? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, we'll run with it, JP. We'll uh, run with yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just like thinking, well, I was starting to think, well, if that's what's going to be, that's going to be. We're at, a, we're at a blank canvas stage in time, you know, where we're kind of starting again almost uh, after this ridiculous period of success that we've had. So, yeah. You know, I, I was the same. Uh, and I think that since we had that discussion last Thursday and this revelation has come out, I've even thought along the lines of, and I know that a lot of these managers that have been mentioned maybe wouldn't or haven't worked with a, a director of football in the past, so they may not be you know, suitable to the, the overall structure that we're planning as a club, JP, but it would actually be the best case scenario if we got in the director of football plus someone who could run the academy to that kind of degree that we've spoken about mm-hmm. and we were able to bring in a manager uh, of the calibre that we've just mentioned. But I don't think somebody like Maresca would swap Man City for Celtic at the same level. You know, you, you wouldn't see that as a step up going yeah. from under 23 to under 23 or a development squad mm-hmm. or whatever it's actually called these days at Celtic because I know that that's a discussion we've had so often mm-hmm. on this podcast and it will come into this particular episode because, you know, there's big question marks around the future of the Scottish game. Uh, I watched the Anne Budge interview with interest and, um, you know, some of the comments she made in relation to, to next season because I remember, like, this time last last year. And we were gearing up for the, the Rangers game at Ibrox. And, you know, that's when this whole thing started to unravel in terms of lockdowns, no fans in the stadium, etc. And the last game that we've seen in person was the St Mirren game when Liga first scored a hat-trick. Seems so long ago. Um, yeah, anniversary is coming up two days, isn't it? Yeah. I know, I know. And, and the thing with that, JP, is in your mind you're kind of thinking... We'll be back in the stadiums by October. October was always this date, I felt. October 2020, we'll be back. And it's not happened. And then it's extended. And then you're right off this season, eventually, because we're now in March, which is incredible. You're right off this season. And Anne Budgie's comments were along the lines of, you know, it wouldn't surprise her if there was no full stadiums next season. What was your thoughts on that? I mean, she's obviously... I would, I would imagine somebody in her position has got some sort of uh, inside intel into what may or may not happen, you know, post this summer. Um, I mean, I, I, it can't it can't be ruled out. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I have conversations with people who are optimistic, and then I have conversations with people who, you know, shoot you down. I was in a taxi yesterday, and uh, the, the girl was just like, "Oh, it's going to be another two years of this. You know, we're going to go in and out of lockdowns another two years." And I was just like. <laughs> I know that's a taxi driver, and I know that, that I can't take her word as gospel. But you know, you know, when people put those sort of thoughts into your mind, it does make you stop and think and go, "God, is this going to be another, you know, another year?" And like you said in the title, how how does that how does that affect football clubs financially? Because how could, how could clubs survive another season with no fans? I mean, you, you, the, the doomsday scenario of clubs falling by the wayside and actually going out of business has been 
you know, long-rooted since this started. But I think that becomes absolute reality at that point when, you know, if you, if you actually do consider that. Without a doubt. Now, two things uh, on the back of what you said there, JP. You were talking about taxi drivers. I got told a brilliant wee bit of insight. I was given a wee bit of insight the other week there. We all know how to, you know, uh, with regards to rumours. and yeah, It was always around transfer deadline day where somebody in Glasgow was in a taxi and you know the, the taxi driver said this one or that one's been in the cab, he's picked them up, all this stuff. And this, this, this individual was telling me about how um, at a... Premiership club in Scotland uh, that, you know, they would basically have a couple of taxi drivers that they would utilise if they wanted to put a story out there. And they would basically, you know, even if that story was to try and <laughs> disarm someone or their reputation, they would uh, feed that story to these two taxi firms. And before you knew it, it was all over the city, which I almost uh, named there. It was all over the city within a 48-hour period. And that became a rumour, which means it became the truth and it was gospel. And that person's reputation took an absolute bashing as a result of it. Incredible, the tactics that people will go to to try and get, um, you know, that level of influence. But when, as you say, when it comes out of the the um, the Tain Castle camp and it's coming out of Anne Budgie's mouth, you think to yourself, there must be some kind of truth in this. There must be some real um, worry and concern that you know it's not just going to be the flick of a switch, JP, no. and everybody can go back to the games next season after some deliberation. Will be the first season that I buy my own wee boy his season ticket this is going to be his first season ticket I'm going to throw this out to anybody who's listening is he too young he's four and I spoke to a couple of my mates who started taking their boys their kids um, at roughly the same age they think it's great I wasn't going to the games at four you know I was seven before I started going to the games so I don't know what's your thoughts on that taking your, your bearing to the game is four too young because next season was my plan that was when I was going to start taking him I know, I know, I'm pretty sure I know of people who have been younger that have gone to games before because uh, I, I, I've spoken to folks that I know. Who- it's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. 
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. They were like, oh yeah, I was there that day. And I'm like, how could you possibly have been there that day? You know, I don't, I, you must have been about two or three. And he was like, I, I know, my dad, my dad took me at two or three. And I'm like, that. Yeah, it's a bit. Sometimes I see kids uh, with their parents at football matches, and you know the kids are just on the phone, or you know they're just you know it's like it's like you've taken them to chapel or something like that. They're, they're not really care, they don't really care what the. Did you not pay attention, like JP? At chapel, aye. <laughs> not really. No. <laughs> oh, this is turning into confession. I, I did, I confession did, time. I did. I ended up becoming an altar boy. You have to pay attention at that point, otherwise <laughs> you, you make a fool of yourself in front of the congregation. So. Uh, but uh, no, I, 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 I don't know. It just depends on what y- your child's attention span is like and whether or not they are actually properly into football because mm. it would seem a bit decadent to be spending that sort of money on taking a, a kid if they are just going to sit and play on the phone. Or I, I'm presuming your child doesn't have a, fo- a, a phone at four years old. Um, no, he doesn't. He doesn't, uh, actually. Um, <laughs> but, you know, to be fair, he is trying to work out how to log into mine. But... Uh, you know, the, the the thing is with with the football, it's a difficult one because you, you do want them to enjoy it as well. You don't want them to be sitting there for for a couple of hours bored. That's no. a big thing. And yeah. um, I mean, as I say, I went at seven, but the reasons behind that were, were twofold. Firstly, my old man walked away uh, for several years leading up to that, so he certainly couldn't take me. And I was relying on uncles and cousins, older cousins taking me. Uh, but also, even when he could take me, he didn't want to take me, JP. And that admission has, you know, hurt me and scared me for life. He didn't want me to be slowing down his um, drinking time with his mates. <laughs> so um, when, when I go to the game, I go differently. I drive, I don't do the, the supporters bus thing anymore, and I don't go to the boozers before or after the game um, I just go to the game and then I come home so it would be easy in that respect but you know I'm just, I just see a couple of messages coming in saying that four's a good age uh, I don't think his attention span uh, would take the entire game in so I, I'm going to have to miss some of the game but there you go, let me know your thoughts on that the Axom audience who are tuning in on YouTube, Facebook and on Twitter because it's always a pleasure to see these names popping up and get you involved in the chat, I'm going to be um, making as many of these comments public as possible because um, it's a massive question, how will this affect Celtic's rebuild? Mazar, Yousaf, fans not being there isn't the biggest problem, fans not renewing season tickets will have an adverse effect of which will be felt for at least the next two or three transfer windows and seasons. I mean, it is massive. We've had various discussions over the weeks and months leading up to where we are now, JP, um, around how people are going to view the renewing of their season tickets. Uh, A lot of people are saying they won't renew until big change has happened. Well, we've had... Uh, the beginnings of the, the big change. We've had a CEO who has announced that he's retiring and his replacement has also been announced. We've had a manager who's been um, removed or has removed himself from the manager's chair. So we will definitely have a new manager in place for the, the following season. Uh, what do you think the attitude is now? I mean, is that the changes that we were looking for? Are more changes afoot? I mean, without a question, I think, you know, there's going to be Definitely a new management team installed. I don't think there's any danger that the, the, the current uh, incumbents are going to be kept on beyond this uh, season. So I think that that'll you know uh, be a big change. Um, I think 
the sheer fact that people don't know what's going to happen in terms of you know how many people have said I'm not paying another six hundred pounds just to watch a a, dod, a a rubbish stream or a poor quality uh, presented uh, stream. Um, I've had issues with the Celtic season uh, past the past the paradise thing, you know, where it's you know not worked or you know you've had trouble logging in. It's not been a disaster. I wouldn't say it's been a disaster, but ultimately you're just sitting, you know, watching a game on your own in your house on a stream. You know, it's not. You're not that your the six hundred pounds is for the experience of going to the game. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not for watching it on the TV. Um, so I think people will be reluctant to to spend that sort of money. You know, it would need to be a vac- if they do know that we're not going to be back in the stadium until potentially next year, if it's January or February or whenever next year. If they do know, then they they will need to heavily subsidise that. And then, like the, the commenter said, that that will that will impact because if you're reducing the season ticket prices, and that's reducing, you know, your, your fifty potentially fifty thousand uh, persons uh, investment into the club. You talk about investment. I, I need to come back to the Mogwai thing because something cropped into my my mind there when you were talking. But you're talking about investment. I, I've spoken in the last week to someone who invests in the corporate side. Of, of the football club JP and I know that a lot of people who go to the game um, view them with a wee bit of suspicion you know people who uh, buy boxes and stuff like that but um, this is a, a right lifelong Celtic supporter who just has the um, uh, ability to, to invest a wee bit more than the likes of myself uh, his investment is not quite six figures but it's not far off it and he's not going to be investing um, the way that he's been investing since um, you know the 1990s in actual mm-hmm. fact at, at the club so it's, it's season ticket holders it's uh, people like that who are investing a huge amount of their their cash or their businesses earnings as well uh, so yes th- there's a lot of people still looking at the situation at the moment not convinced that enough change has been made but as you say there's loads of other changes happening in the background you were talking there about your, your virtual pass and I mentioned at the weekend how obviously the Aberdeen game I think it was 17 minutes before I got onto the, the Celtic virtual pass myself and I had to watch it on uh, Red TV um, would it not have been a great would it not have been great timing to get Mogwai on before the game that, that could have been your entertainment before the game you know uh, number one Glasgow band Celtic supporters get them in Give us yeah. an hour. Give us an hour before the game starts. Oh, an hour gig. Well, unfortunately, I, I know the, the production costs that go into like putting on a Mogwai gig, uh, and and it wouldn't be cheap. Put it that way. They would need to find a lot of uh, extra capital to be able to put that added on. value. That could be an or added value. Oh yeah, but it would, it would, def, it would definitely cost you to take a bit of money. I'm not talking about Mogwai's fee. I'm just talking about the actual production costs of getting people to you know. Uh, set up the equipment because you know they're not just going to go and set up next to Gordon Strachan and Stephen McManus and <laughs> whoever's been the hosting and just sort of play in that little gantry but you know it would be a bit pony if that was what they did I know, but you know, added extra. I, 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 I want, I want Mogwai pre-match. That's what I want. Now, someone did make a comment, but unfortunately, it's disappeared from the screen because when the comments come in thick and fast, that's what happens. But the question was, um, they were asking whether we would talk about the possibility that Celtic surrender the title at our home patch against Rangers. 
and your thoughts around that JP I've already suggested that you know we give them the, the full uh, Buna as they walk on the park but we wear our black strips instead of the green and white hoops just to remind them <laughs> <laughs> just to remind them yeah uh, anyway what's your thoughts on that I mean that that's the worst case scenario that's just adding insult to injury this season isn't it it is, it is, but at the same time, you know, watching that happen on a TV is a world away from sitting in your seat watching it. Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, sitting in your seat at the ground. And I'll go back to what I've said about this season, you know, a few times. And this, this is a bit of a controversial comment, but see if you were to give me the opportunity of going back to my work, where I actually work, like, mm. and this isn't all going on, and go back to DF and working in King Touch tomorrow as opposed to Celtic winning 10 in a row tomorrow, I would take my job and go back to my reality. And that, and, that, and that is essentially why I'm not as affected as... I mean, I have wee pangs every now and then, but I'm going, like, oh, God, this is horrible. Like, how are we not, how are we not winning the league? How, how have we not done this? We've been talking about it for so long. But then I just think to myself, there's so much, you know, a bigger picture here. And it may other people in their lives they've not been affected and they've just kept on doing their job and maybe they've had to work from home or whatever and that's fine. But you know, in my life, I genuinely it's it's it doesn't register as much. It it tainted winning nine in a row this whole COVID thing, and it's going to you know not affect me as much. You know, losing losing the title. And I just I was watching something. It reminded me. There's a, a quote from a documentary that I texted you before this to ask you who this guy was. Uh, and, I, and I don't know who the guy is. I've, I've even tweeted Graham Spears to ask him because I know he'll know. Um, and he might, he might have responded. I don't know. Um, but in the documentary, it's called Clash of the Titans, and it was uh, came out in probably I guess ninety eight or ninety nine. So it was after we'd stopped uh, the ten. Mm. And it's a documentary just about the rivalry between Rangers and Celtic. It's got uh, an anecdote from Peter Grant about a game he was playing. I think at Ibrox and. It was a sunny day and he was going think, to take a throw-in or something and something whizzed by his ear and he thought it was a bee and then he, he looked down at the ground and it was a, a golf ball with nails in it. And uh, he was like, you know, that, that, that's, the, that's the level. He was trying to explain the significance of a, of a Celtic Rangers game and uh, I think, well, in that anecdote, it, it certainly tells its own story. But this guy, a journalist, don't know his name, it's really annoying me. I think he's English, but he was living in Scotland. He may have passed on uh, now, um, but he said... Any neutral will say that was what should have happened. Nine in a row, two great clubs, both done wonderful things for this city. I question that. Uh, and it was right and proper that it should end in a draw. And that quote has haunted me since the start of this season because I kept thinking it's, it's they're going to win the league. And it's because some sort of higher power has actually decided that it, it can't be, we can't one-up them. They could they one-up us in 98 and we can't one-up them now. And it's just, aye, there you go. Listen, it is a very, very good quote, and I couldn't identify who that was. You sent me a picture of them. Um, it would maybe be an idea if you if you could send it to me. Actually, I could put, bring it up on the screen. Somebody out there might be able to tell us who that person is. If you watch that picture, me, JP, it's Ian Archer, uh, Paul uh, Paul McQuaid, the Shamrock, uh, and on Twitter's got back. So it looks like Ian Archer in his later years. It is Ian Archer. Wow, in his later years, because I think the Archer on that. It was like a documentary style show that was on the TV as soon as Celtic won the league in 1988 and Archer there with the full head of hair. But now that you mention it, because if it is him in his later years, um, he does look a bit different. But now that you mention it, he he was a fantastic uh, writer. What a journalist he was, by the way. He was outstanding as a writer. 
Oh, absolutely superb. I mean, see, when you're doing some research for your book um, or the books that I've been involved in and you dig in into the old archives of the newspapers, you see some absolutely phenomenal writing, JP. It's sadly been lost to the depths of time, I think, and I'm not criticising the journalists. I just think the nature of news now, nobody's waiting for the evening editions or the morning editions. News has to be produced by the second, it needs to be at your fingertips. Um, so these phenomenal writers who would actually, you know, pour over these pieces, these long form uh, works of art, can no longer do it. They just yeah. can't do it now because they're pressurised into producing stuff. You know, I'm not going to call it all clickbait, but a lot of it is, and it's yeah. just the, the state of play that that we find ourselves as in, in terms of the media. Um, I found that other images that I'm going to bring up on the screen at some point during the show as well. But that's that's exactly what it is, Ian Atcher. So what is it about the nine then? Why why is the nine the sticky number? Why can't we get over the nine? Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, I was just saying, to ta- I was in a taxi there uh, to go and do something before I started this. And uh, there was a Rangers fan who was, was, was taking me and I, I told him what I was coming back to do at half 12. And he was like, oh, I'm a Rangers fan and blah, blah, blah. And, and he was saying, uh, you know, that... You know, he knew that the Ibrox game. You know, he said we threw everything at you, threw everything at us, and we got a goal off a deflected, you know, off a, off a shoulder. And he said, I, you know, I knew at that point. And uh, but I said to him, I said, look, I'm being honest with you. If if COVID was not a thing, then things would be massively different, absolutely massively different. I, I couldn't tell you what would be the case. I, I honestly, he said, oh, no, we we would still win the league, we would still win the league, and I was like, well, maybe so, but I don't think it would be over at this point I really don't and, and I'll, I'll stand by that and that's not me sticking up for Neil Lennon or trying to fly the Neil Lennon flag because Neil Lennon made his own mistakes that added to the, the problems but you take the initial problems out of the way and you know the ball and golly thing having to play catch up you know play yourself isolate and all of that nonsense just disruption constant disruption to, to, to plans um, I, I think it would be a different story but we just have to live with it as it is and it's, it's, it's rubbish it's horrible to lose this, this, at, this, at this stage um, but you know c'est la vie See, when you're, you're talking there about uh, all these other issues that were going on behind the scenes that didn't help, they certainly didn't help, JP, but you look at the situation Celtic were in in terms of the, the squad that we had, and the fact that we kept all uh, our so-called best players, and we strengthened the squad to the tune of um, six new faces coming in, and you think, well, surely we would, we would have had enough. We should have had enough if we approached it properly. And then you read and you read into the comments made by Jeremy Frimpong. Oh. Uh, you know, and I know this has been spoken about this week, but uh, there was a realization there that you just don't get it. Because I always remember, no matter who you're speaking to or or interviews, old interviews that you read, this thing about the step up to Celtic, even when you've played and played well for another Scottish club, the step up to Celtic is a bridge too far for a lot of players because they're not used to having that mentality of every single game must be won. Uh, and even a draw or, or a defeat I'm not saying it's a crisis but it's unacceptable mm. it's unacceptable at a club like Celtic but most footballers never live in that environment do they? So 
I, I did ask uh, someone previously about players who really performed well for other Scottish clubs. Celtic buy them, you think that's a good acquisition. It's a really, and it doesn't work out for them because that step up was was a bridge too far. And I mean, I'm thinking about even fairly recently players like Riordan at Hibs. I think when we signed him, he was probably one off, if not the best Scottish striker at that time in the league. We bought him, and he did not transition well did he and a lot of players who have played in Scotland Scott Allen you know you you watched him playing for Hibs before we signed him and he looked tremendous and and, you know and he's looked very very good since he went back I know he's had his health issues kind of recently but there is that transition and I was looking at uh, the comments made by Jeremy Frimpong and I think to myself you just don't have it was the big issue here and I know he wasn't one of the new faces coming in but it was too many new faces coming in who probably didn't have that state of mind, if you like, that Celtic state of mind, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of you don't have the mentality to play for this club. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think uh, I think that's potentially nail on the head, really, because, you know, it's it's all very well, you know, coming in and Scott Brown saying, right, guys, this is a big season and all the rest of it, but it's not... It's not the it's not the same as having played and what they've not played in front of the fans. Do you know what I mean? Mm, that, that's yep. a huge thing. Not played in front of the fans, you know. And I'm not saying that all oh, all of a sudden Shane Duffy would be you know the best centre half we've ever had if he'd played in front of you know three or four thousand fans away at uh, St Mirren or something like that. You know, of course I'm not saying that, but I think you, there's a bit more of an impetus if you have if you do if you are playing in front of the supporters and you know. Uh, these guys coming in haven't had that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Experience, so they're just playing in empty stadiums, they're at a brand new club. It's a very weird situation, and, you know, they haven't really had time to sort of develop a bond almost with with the club first of all and then the fans as a result mm-hmm. so it just it, for, for them it's just like they're, they're playing another game of football and you know okay well we've, we lost the game so what you know nobody you know if, if they don't really pay attention to social media as a lot of them don't you know there's a lot of them don't really care about social media you know everybody thinks everybody's on it all the time but I don't necessarily think that I think players will probably steer themselves away from it. So ultimately, they're not getting any positive or negative, you know, uh, reaction to their performances. So therefore, it's just like, oh, another game next week then. And you're like, well, aye, another game in a season where we're going for a record 10th title, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a big deal here, you know, unless you've missed that. But no, no. <laughs> No, you're, you're spot on because it doesn't add to the pressure that they already have as being professional footballers playing for a big club. The, the added pressure, I feel, comes from us. It comes from the stands, doesn't it? I mean, back in the day, you know, the media in terms of newspapers were, you know, could create a pressure. They could create a buzz. Of course they could. I mean, some of the, the titles in Scotland were selling about a million a day. You know, that, that was a distribution at that time. Now, as you say, you can switch yourself off from that as long as you just don't pick up your phone. And I think I said that uh, quite early on in the season. I'd have banned Lee Griffiths from social media. I would have banned him from it. Just oh. don't don't go near it. Oh. Um, now, at the top of this show, if you think I've, I've been rude and checking my phone, I was looking for an image because 
uh, that jersey behind you uh, there was a wee feature in my forthcoming book there's a plug don't know when it's coming out but it will come out I promise it will come out um, I did a feature in, in uh, the book which was let's choose three or four of the, the most kind of ghastly um, jerseys or the ones that divided opinion JP right uh, and g- give them a wee facelift see if we can improve them a wee bit and I got a fantastic artist called Made by Frankie you might have seen Made by Frankie on Twitter she does brilliant artwork um, to basically manipulate and modify these jerseys so that one behind you I looked at that and I thought you know what that would look better in a different colourway right so here we go I'm going to bring it up on the screen and maybe everybody's going to disagree but I thought it looked better oh you can't see it I'm going to have to move I thought it looked better it looked better in black and green. Do you get the vibe? Yeah, I get the idea, and I'm already completely on board with it. Uh, I think there's a job at Adidas for you. Um, there might have been a job at Adidas for me. when I, I used to draw strips when I was 10, 11, 12, and I, I, used to, I was obsessed with Celtic getting an Adidas top. And uh, I used to, I drew, you know, these Adidas, basically Adidas equipment tops, but as Celtic tops. And uh, and then, so to get Adidas as a, as a strip uh, sponsor has been brilliant for me. You know, I was, I was like, so, so excited at, at, at that prospect because I'm a Celtic strip geek. Yeah, you're a geek, but that's all right because you know, I'm determined to show everybody this. So I will eventually... Um figure out how to show you uh, at some stage but you see talking about that designing strips kind of carry on right Um, one of the strips actually was designed by Simon Weir uh, now you know Simon Weir the actor he was in Transport and Transport and 2 he's a big no. Celtic fan he's been on Axom he's been on Axom he played Jailhouse in Transport and 2 he designed the European jersey from the 1986 season you know the white one and it had the green and the black at the top oh yeah yeah. he designed that jersey and sent it into Davy Hay who passed it on to Umbro Simon Weir designed that jersey uh, which I just find absolutely insane but no. I found that out by chance when I was doing research for his book uh, by speaking to Simon and that, that's what he told me and he showed me the letter from Davy Hay to prove that it was his design um, and he still had some of his artwork which was proper like felt tip pen artwork it was brilliant so these are the kinds of stories that you can expect to see in my forthcoming book which obviously I'm not trying to plug here um, but yes I'll let you know when it comes out um, so looking forward to next season I found it interesting this week that Connor Hazard signed a new deal um, and Connor Hazard signed a new improved two-year contract now obviously he came in um, in that game against Lille didn't he alongside Sorrow and Turnbull mm-hmm. and you know up until a point he was basically being spoken about in the same breath as Sorrow and Turnbull in terms of these are a, a kind of positive that's come out of this season JP they've come in players that ordinarily may not have made an appearance yet they look as though they have bedded in. That's not where we are at the moment with Conor Hazard, is it? I mean, where do you think it went wrong for him this season? I just think that uh, he didn't cover himself in glory in the cup final, did he? I mean, that was a bit of a, a, ropey, a ropey display in the second half. But then, then he goes and saves the, the penalties in the shootout. So, you know, you can't uh, chastise him too much, I don't think. But I just think that he was maybe... Maybe they didn't want to play him regularly if it was going to be a really tough time of it. You know what I mean? Mm. In terms of, you know, just having him attached to this run of, you know, mediocrity and losing... Oh, there you go. 
Paul Elliott, that's amazing. It's cool, eh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so basically, that jersey behind you should have been black and white and green. Oh, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. So made by Frankie, made up this mock. And there's quite a few of them. And it was to form a chapter in the book where we were looking at how, you know, how strip, cha- you know, it's changed. It's a big thing now, the unveiling of the new strips, JP. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then you get these amazing guys and girls online who design potential jerseys and yeah. how that is now a thing. Whereas 20 years ago it really wasn't. Um, but yeah, there you go. There, there was the design. I think we'll just keep that. looks better than the, the image that was up there before. We'll just keep that there. But uh, that that was it. And there's a few others. I tell you what, Adidas uh, could do a number on that with the, with the instead of the Umbro badge, obviously have the trefoil, you know, the, the, oh. the proper Adidas badge. Like Absolutely. If they, could, if they could do that, but with that top, that would be... Uh, I think that would be a lot of folks uh, <laughs> on a lot of folks. Will we, will we go for the half? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Right. So, yeah, that was my idea. And there was a few others. Sorry to interrupt you there, but oh, we're yes, talking about Connor Hazard. We didn't maybe just want to attach him to, to a, a run that they could see was unfolding, you know, and maybe thought, right, we'll just take him out of the firing line. You know, we don't want to, you know, we can see he's got long-term prospects. We don't want to damage his, his progress. Uh, so we'll just give it to Scott Bain instead. I mean, that... Sounds really harsh, but you know, uh, it's so it's so weird the whole situation with old people. How we've jumped about from Barkas to Bain to Hazard back to Bain. You know, Barkas is currently who knows where he is. Uh, I know. I really hope he's all right. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I hate speaking because when you speak about things like this, you have no idea. Like we've spoken about this before, you've no idea what's going on in someone's life in terms of their background because you know. a lot of people don't know what's going on in your life or my life and. You know, we come on here and we're all, hey, you know, talking and everything, everything's great. But then you come off and you're like, well, actually, I've got stuff to deal with, you know, and mm-hmm. you might have stuff to deal with. You don't know. So and that may be why he's not in the team. It may not be purely football. We touched on that a few weeks back, didn't we? We were talking about a Yeti. Um, and as football fans and the fickleness of the game, you just criticise a player because they're not playing well, you know, and oh, he's rubbish and get him dropped and give Griffiths a run or give somebody else a run. But I think that does come into it, especially with Barkas, whereby, uh, you know, I yet he obviously was at West Ham. So, you know, in terms of a, a British culture, if there is such a thing, uh, the day to day life of it, he has adapted to a degree to that whilst he was in London. But Barkas hasn't, has he? He's come over from Greece. Um, I think he's played his whole football career in Greece he's come over here and it's in abnormal um, circumstances Mm. whereby he doesn't have that let's get to know the city you know uh, let's get to know even another couple of players and their wives or partners and and then you know get to know we all know the 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 Scandinavian guys used to socialise together we know that back in Larson's day in Mialbe and even you know the, the yeah, and, and the Dutch players uh, of both sides, Celtic and Rangers, used to meet up and they would go out with their wives to get to know the city and certain restaurants. All of that's been torn up. And not just that, uh, you know, these guys, uh, many of them are, are living their lives in hotel rooms and that must be really tough. So it does take us on to the Barkas question because we've heard every so often you get a right good bit of information coming through from a good source and you put that in a wee box and you think, I believe that that might be true. Mm. then everything else goes into the WhatsApp rumour kind of box, doesn't it? And you've heard the rumours that Barkas fell out with Lenny, Lenny dropped him and all this kind of stuff. But I I look at that and think, well, he's completely disappeared from the the 20-man squad 
Um, he's not on the bench. Uh, someone suggested that he may be injured. I don't think the club are about to write off the investment of 10 million quid, JP, on him and a Yeti. No. I think that um, you know any incoming manager would, would need to assess them and see if they can get a tune out of one if not both of them. And I know that I've uh, compared the, you know, the Martin O'Neill um, arrival as being very much like next season. There's loads that's different in terms of the investment that we, we put into that management team and the players he brought in. But what he did have is he had a, a clutch of players there who had come in for big money. And we all know what happened to, to Berkovic. Um, we know that obviously... He, he decided to cash in on Viduka and he used that money to bring in Sutton. We know what happened to Raphael Scheidt. It just didn't work out for him in, in Scotland. But one player he did resurrect who had come in and didn't look, for me, didn't look great. I know Kevin Graham says that he had a couple of good games. was Petrov. I thought that, you know, O'Neill came in and rejuvenated Petrov's career. And whoever's coming in might be looking at the two big buys that were brought in. And he might be able to get a player out of Barkas or a Yeti. Have they shown anything, in your opinion, based on what we've seen, that one or both of them might still have a future at Celtic? Yeah, they have. Uh, I, I think it's... <laughs> It's the fact that we haven't seen a lot of Barkas that makes you think, well, there could be something there. If we'd seen so much of him, we would have been able to form an opinion, you know, and a, a, a reasonable football fan's opinion on whether or not he was good enough to, to be the number one. But I think the, the, the fact that the, the hard cold fact is we've not seen enough of him to be to be able to sort of cast a, oh, he's not good enough, get rid of him, get shot of him. I've, I've not seen anything to tell me that he's some sort of calamity strewn keeper that, you know, isn't. You know, up to up to standard. The guy's an international player. He's played in the Champions League for AEK Athens. Um, I know they're not a European heavyweight or anything, but there's you know they've probably been in or around uh, you know group stages more than we have in the last few years. Somebody will correct me on that. I'm sure they will in the comments. Uh, they're probably not. <laughs> but uh, but the same way, Yeti. You know. I, 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 I don't think a Yeti is a terrible player. I, I think, you know, he clearly did the business for Bal, uh, didn't get an opportunity at West Ham for whatever reason, uh, came in and battered in goals early doors when he wasn't supposedly fit. Might not still be fit, who knows, that this, this fitness thing that hung over the, mm. the, the club for, well, we're now in March and there's still fitness chat, which is... Mad, but it's absurd. Was, yeah. it, was it Kevin uh, Russell that we're talking about? The, the, the Kev had heard from was it George Connolly that you know you, you you're never really match fit until you've played like sort of ten games or eleven games in a row, um, yeah. and that might well if, if that is the case, then it's probably you need more now. And um, so I, I I would not be expecting a Yeti and and Barkas to be written off unless. Of course, they don't want to be here anymore. In which case, then that, that's not that's out of our hands. But if they want to be here and want to fight for a position in the team, then I can't see why they would go elsewhere. Yeah, I think we'll get one. I, I do. I think we'll get a player out of that pair. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned George Conley. Big happy birthday to George on the first of March. Big George is doing well. Uh, still in touch with him. One of the the greats. One of the greats from the Quality Street Gang era, uh, alongside a certain Kenny Dalglish who turns seventy today. Um, quite, really? yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? 
it's incredible that um, Ken Kenny turned 70 today. But it does take us on to the subject of Quality Street Gang. Um, you know, the the whole tradition that Celtic had of rearing our own youth. And we're talking about Connor Hazard. And, you know, the big thing about the way that I like the new structure being perhaps bringing someone in who is able to scout the market for the best young talent in Britain, because generally speaking, we will be looking uh, a hell of a lot at the British market, JP. Um, that's probably how I, I like to look at it. Maybe three or four young players coming through on a year-to-year basis, because, let's face it, Celtic are going to have to start focusing again on youth. Yeah. I mean, how long do you think that would take, though? Because I don't think we got enough from the Hibs and the Livy games in January to suggest that we've got half a dozen players bubbling under the surface. I don't think we've seen enough. They young kids weren't ready for the first team, were they? No, and it wasn't the right circumstance to bring them in as well. Uh, you know, the pressure in those games, despite there being no supporters there, it, it, that was us absolutely rolling dice at that point, you know, just to, to try and get a win. And we nearly got away with it and uh, until that last-minute equaliser from Hibs. You know, that that might have changed the complexion of how we were, you know, doing things. Because it's fine margins like that. You know, you think back to those two games and you're just like, if we'd won them, you know, anyway, there's if, if buts and maybes. But I think, yeah, I don't think the circumstances were right to, to be reading, you know, uh, up and coming youngsters in that game because it's just like you know they weren't playing alongside the, the regular first team players there was, well, obviously some of them were there but it wasn't like you were bringing in a player into a sort of nine or ten strong first team first team essentially where uh, I think that that's where you really find that it helps those players when they come into you know like like say like bringing when we brought Aidan McGeady in you know that that Celtic team that we brought Aidan McGeady into was a strong first team. You know, look at mm. some of the players that he was playing with. Um, so I, you know, it's things like that. But I, I definitely want to see a focus on uh, on on bringing our own, you know, Scottish players through because you know you want to see more Kieran Tierney's, you want to see more Callum McGregor's, um, things like you know things like that, James Forrest. You know, you want to see these guys, and, and it feels like we've sort of got them and we're dining out on them and we have been dining out on them for a long time but mm-hmm. you dine out on, on them well, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll be getting to like 30 and where's the replacements where's the, 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 the next slot you know precisely I mean you're, you're looking at James E. Forrest and Carl McGregor getting to that stage of their career now into their late 20s which, by the way, is very young for somebody like me, but I know in terms of football, JP, into their late 20s. And as you say, where is the next wave? And we could say, well, we had Kieran Tierney as well. Incidentally, Ray Parler talking about Tierney as a future Arsenal captain. It just shows you the, the quality that we had in Tierney. And we all knew the quality we had in Tierney. But where, where's the next wave, you know? And and I think that when you're looking at um, the wave of talent coming through, I'm not being, I'm not at the stage where I think that we can produce, you know, very similar to the Lisbon Lions where the vast majority of that side came through the ranks. I know the game's changed, but with Jeremy Frimpong's comments the other day, JP, it really wrong home to me once again that you know if you bring in if you look at your the makeup of your squads and eight or nine of them have been signed from all over the globe do they really get it do they really understand you know what it takes to play for a club like Celtic and that that's my biggest concern and I think that we always need to have that nucleus you know that nucleus of three or four players you mentioned Peter Grant earlier when you were talking about that yellow kit behind you um, and I know that 
Peter the Point or divided opinion, but there was one thing about him. Oh, I loved him. He, he loved Celtic, and you know, hundred percent every single game, good, bad, or ugly. Um, my best memories of him is the Airdrie Cup final, of course, where he played with an injury. Oh. And, he got a man of the match. Uh, just talking about your jersey, actually, um, we've got a comment coming in from Martin Bickett who says the green and gold is amazing. So he'd, he'd be quite happy with the original. Uh, Alan Robertson reminds us, Paul Elliott, there's a oh, defender. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and there's a few others coming in. Uh, Cormac Ryan thinks that the black and green one is smart, although we would have had the iconic pinstripe shortly after. Absolutely. As worn by Stuart Slater. And Stuart Slater was interviewed by myself for a Celtic State of Mind. We're working on that interview and that'll be coming out at the weekend. So it was a dial-in. Stuart Slater's doing well, came in, spoke about his Celtic career, JP, and uh, that'll be out this weekend on the day that we're not playing. So I just think that, you know, it's one of these things that it's probably not by design, but Celtic will have to have more of a focus on bringing in far more um, of our youth players. And it's a shame that that we've lost or are going to lose a, a, a real crappy players haven't we to other clubs over the last several months and in the coming months because I'm pretty sure Dembele and Ocoflex are looking to move elsewhere as well yeah no it is um, that is that is concerning that we you know have in the same way that we've taken players from Man Cities and you know players and clubs like that other clubs are doing it to us um, at, at the very early stage, at the embryonic stage in a player's career, when they're, you know, just starting to knock on the door of maybe getting into the squad of of, of the first team or whatever. So yeah, I think. But then that's up to whoever comes in uh, as the manager. Obviously, I think will be heavily will be tasked with being heavily focused on on youth development because you know the shackles of this. Uh, Dynasty of nine in a row and ten in a row. That 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 isn't. Those are now gone, and it's a good thing as well as a bad thing that it's gone. I think because it it, it just stops this obsession with with charging towards it, and it feels like we've been very reactive in terms of you know like even just, I know the Shane Duffy signing hasn't worked out, but you know I, I would have far rather we were signing a a pro like not a project. I hate that word, but. You know, a developing player in a centre half position, like we did with Odson Edward. Like, why why were we not signing a centre half in a similar vein to Odson Edward? You know, paying a paying a decent fee to a club um, at a young age, and then having him play through the last few years. And instead, we just had to like panic and go and get a a guy on loan from from Brighton. You know, and pay big stupid wages to a guy and just throw money away. So it could have been could have been more carefully considered it, it could have and you know actually on that point I would take it a wee stage further because under the surface we had a player in Stephen Welsh who I think this season has proven JP that he was ready to make that step up the problem with Stephen Welsh I felt maybe in his earlier per- performances was the fact that we hadn't bedded him into that squad but before we did I mean yeah. he'd only played one game for Celtic before he was thrown in to the first uh, Rangers game this season and you know I remember the picture after the game you remember him sitting there in the stand with his head in his hands right behind uh, yeah. Olivier yeah, yeah. you know Olivier and Cham the, the, the young kid was gutted I think he's done enough since then for me to be 
you know, a first pick at the moment. I, I know that Chris Julien is obviously injured, and we never we didn't see that coming. He's been injured twice this season, but it, do, it does prove that we had that kid under the surface. That you know, had we managed him properly with his development and given him enough games, we would have known what he was, uh, you know, capable of. And we, we might have looked at that situation and thought, well, we don't need to bring in Shane Duffy. Because we've got we've got Welsh there, but because we had managed that situation so poorly, we didn't we didn't have that uh, in our locker. And I find I find that that, that that's the short sightedness that the ten in a row brought. I'm not sitting here saying I didn't want to win ten in a row. Of course I did, but it did bring with it a short sightedness. And um, you know I think one of the best examples of that would uh, undoubtedly be yeah. But I think that's how Lennon manages, isn't it? Yeah. I mean I think was it Carragher that came out and said. Benitez, similarly, I'm not comparing Lenny with Benitez, but he's not interested in anything other than the loving guys on the park. He's in, he's interested in the first team. It's not about having that model where the under-12s are playing the same style as the first team and everybody can make the step up right through the ranks to the first team. There's, there's plenty of managers like that. You know, I don't know. Um, I didn't know that about Benitez. But, you know, it puts me off him, I've got to say, because I think we need to be looking more long-term, JP. Oh, and you know Stephen Welsh for me if we're going to look at um, positives to take from this season he's a positive I'm still going to say Connor Hazard was a positive I know that he's not in the team at the minute uh, and obviously Turnbull and Sorrow are and I'm hoping to see Sorrow at some stage back in the side be it uh, John Kennedy which I don't think it will be long term or someone else assessing this group of players would it not make sense to be playing guys like Ayeti, El Yunusi, Barkas, um, giving them some game time, JP, to say, well, we need to decide whether or not we're going to keep you for next season. Let's give you a run of seven games now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the big ones would have been Barkas. I, don't, I really don't know what the situation is with him at the moment. And I don't know what the situation is with Nir Buton just now, because he's disappeared from view as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think it's been confirmed that he's injured but he's certainly not in the first-team squad. Would it not make more sense to give these guys, and, and Sorrow as well, more game time? Yeah, I, I think people were all really intrigued as to what the side would be last Saturday against uh, Aberdeen. And uh, I was too. I didn't expect there to be massive changes because I just didn't think that you know he was in a position to start being a bit gung-ho in his team selection. You know what I mean? It was always going to be fairly similar and I think I, I still stand by it. I know people were looking for looking for positives after the first half and saying oh there was a different zip and energy and all the rest of it for me I just thought I saw the same the same Celtic team that has been playing for the last few weeks months even you know uh, doing all, doing you know pretty well in the first half getting a goal deflected goal uh, and goals a goal and all that but um, and then the second half we just sort of fell away so I'm more interested now in how he plays the team on Sunday and how he how he evaluates what he saw on Saturday and how he then makes any changement changes to that or does he just go the same again or does he actually make changes and try something different in a formation bring El Yunusi in potentially to start um, maybe a, a Yeti as well or does he stick with Komala all all of these things are I, I'm more interested now on how he reacts to his first game going into Tannadice on Sunday, which I actually looked up. I can't believe I haven't been to Tan. I've not been to Tannadice for 20 years. Wow. 20, 20 years I've not been to Tannadice. Now, 
I've never said I'm the biggest Celtic fan in the world. I'm just a Celtic fan, just like everybody who's watching this. You know, some people may not have been to Tannadice at all, fair enough, but I, I can't even believe it's been that long. And actually, here is my ticket from that day. And that signature is the bold Robert Douglas. Met him in the train uh, the petrol station on the way back. <laughs> I love it. I love your random. I love your random meets with Celtic players, JP. They're becoming legendary. I just went on to him and we guide them in the petrol station. I'm not his mate. He's not my pal. Just in case anybody said, "Oh, you pals with Robert Douglas." Well, I'm not pals with Robert Douglas. I met him once in a petrol station outside Dundee, and uh, and I got his autograph on my ticket, and we won four 0 And the team was Douglas and Gold, Mialbe, Valharan, Vega. Petter, McNamara, Petrov, Lennon, Agat, Larson, and Sutton. What? Vega. Um, another wee plug. We obviously yeah. uh, we interviewed Vega, uh, the big man, Ramon, and he was interviewed, I think it was three or four weeks ago, so check that out on the the YouTube channel, if you can, because... Um, I have to watch that, by the way. I, I, I have to hold my hands up. I've not watched the Vega interview yet. And I got caught in a an unlikely uh, uh, internet trap last night. I think Laura Bradburn had tweeted uh, Russell Boyce's uh, thing that he does with his mate about uh, on Twitch. I'm not familiar with Twitch that much. I know what it is. It's like a streaming thing. But it's unbelievable. Him and his mate playing championship manager and just talking nonsense. It was brilliant. Like I, I, I think they're like they've got a championship manager from like maybe like the late nineties. So they've got like love that game. They were playing as Napoli and they were having like patter over like because <laughs> the guy's mate had bought Pirlo and then Russell was like, "Oh, get Pirlo off! He's rubbish. He's not been look at his stats. His stats are terrible." And. Uh, that's worth a watch if you're into that kind of thing. Well, I am, because you know I'm of a certain vintage, JP. Uh, I will be tuning in. But talking of a certain vintage, there's always this big chat about the, the great Celtic jerseys of the past. And obviously, I've now dug up the, all four images um, that were done by Made by Frankie. And I'm going to share one with you, another one. This was based on two jerseys. The first one was uh, the Hamden third kit. You'll remember it. Van Hoydonk wore it it had a, a gold yeah. arm a green arm and it had this kind of zigzag design and I always felt that the zigzags ruined it because it looked like a tricolour and it would have been better if it was simplified that's so we got Indian, right? yeah, that, yeah. yep and, and we got it simplified right and we changed the badge a wee bit to the shamrock mm-hmm. and it could only be one player wearing this and it was we Brian McLaughlin so here you go Eddie Munster oh, there he is cool. yeah like and we that. went we went back to the Umbro double diamond in sleeves as well, just for the right. classic look. Yeah. But um I'd buy that. Shamrock badge as well. I, Shamrock I like, badge, yeah, like, I'd buy that jersey. I like the Shamrock badge. I don't like the Shamrock badge on the current black third strip. I'm not I don't I wish they just kept it the original Celtic badge rather than the Shamrock. I know people are divided on that, but uh, yeah, I I'd I'd rather have had the Celtic badge on the on the black kit yeah. I think oh, John yeah. Hemp John Hempel is Bordeaux talking about Celtic jersey so let's talk about the Scottish Cup yeah. um, and when I saw the, the, the fixtures well not the fixtures but the dates coming in I was looking at it and I, I kind of thought to myself you know what if, what if we win that what if John Kennedy wins it JP does it change anything no absolutely it didn't change anything for Kennedy of Leash when he won the League Cup in the year 2000 Uh and that's Kenny Dalglish, do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so, you know, there was no clamour for him to get the job full-time as a result of that. So, um, uh, no. 
obviously, yeah, I'd like to win it, but I mean, it's it's, it's hard to get excited about a, a Scottish Cup or a Scottish Cup run and then and then winning it when you're when you're not getting to experience it. Do you know what I mean? I just I honestly don't think that there's the same level of excitement about uh, about games. Even if we were in a position to be winning the title, it, it still would have a huge, huge like like done in it. For, for me that, that we're not there and celebrating it and we can't even go out to the pub and celebrate it never mind go to the game so the Scottish Cup yes I'd love to win it to keep our run going which would surely be unprecedented if we did win it um, and it, I guess it's 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 something something positive to look forward to um, but I love the, I love going to the like, away grounds in the Scottish Cup early rounds and all that you know like you go, going back to grounds that you've not been to before or maybe not been to for years and years like when we played like did we not play Albion Rovers recently um, we had to play at did we play at Airdrie's ground I was at it Scott Sinclair scored an absolute raker mm-hmm. um, and then you know just stuff like Stranraer away and all that like had some great trips in the Scottish Cup over the years and that's as big a part of it as anything else, you know. Even if you, even if you go and see a rubbish game, at least you're experiencing the game and you know the, the banner and everything on the bus and stuff. And the big thing about the away games you're talking about um, is that it's almost a wee step back in time for for yeah. for me. It is, and and it reminds me of that time when I started going to the games and, and things were a wee bit more kind of innocent in terms of yeah. Um, yeah. the facilities and the, and the stadiums and all that kind of stuff. So you, you have that wee step back in time and, and you do enjoy it. I don't know if I'd like to go back there permanently, to be honest with you, but it's nice to dip yeah. your toe in from time to time. Yeah. Uh, someone's asking if it's John for the port, and I get that because John Hempel, believe it or not, there was a John Hempel who was with Celtic during the Quality Street Gang era and he went to the 1968 tournament in Italy with the aforementioned Conley and Dalgleish. So it may well be the same John Hempel um, who was part of that team, interestingly enough. But yeah, the Scottish Cup, I think for me, the way I'm kind of viewing this because of the disastrous season we've had JP is we've got to start the rebuild somewhere and I think that some of the signs we've already seen, Peter Lowell is, is moving on We've got Dominic Mackay coming in. Neil Lennon has moved on. We don't know who we're, we're getting coming in. Could we finish this season on a high by winning the Scottish Cup? I hope we can. Uh, and what does that mean for John Kennedy? Well, I already, already think that Kennedy will still be at Celtic. I just don't think he'll be the manager of Celtic for next season. So I want to win. I've said this so many times. I want to win every time Celtic take the field. I want us to win every tournament. And I want us to go. Um, and basically, you know, it's a start, isn't it? It's a start of the rebuild. And uh, let's get some success into some of the new players who haven't enjoyed any kind of success this season at Celtic. And, and let's do what we um, are accustomed to. Let's start winning trophies again and let's start with the Scottish Cup. So whether or not you think it should have been shoehorned into the season, those fixtures is another thing. But it's happened uh, and for any number of reasons. And let's go and win it. That's, that's certainly my view on it. Now, JP is always... Brilliant to speak to you on a Thursday. We were missing wee deck today. Wee deck's at the dentist, so unfortunately he couldn't join us. He'd rather be at the dentist than be on a Celtic state of mind. I'm sure he wouldn't rather be there. Um, But thanks to everyone who has joined us on the chat today. It's really appreciated you've joined us on YouTube. Facebook and Twitter and if you are watching on YouTube live or later on make sure you subscribe because we're building a channel that puts out as much content as possible. 
it's not always me that's going to be there, JP, because I'm trying to build up other channels on there. But for example, you'll be aware of Amy Canavan, who joins Colin on a Wednesday. Amy's got her own football show. She's already interviewed Jock Brown, so there's a Celtic interest there. And she's got other Celts lined up that she'll be interviewing as well. So we're trying, obviously, to build the free content get onto YouTube and enjoy it all that's left for me to say once again as always JP thanks for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. Network.